You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. Ephesians chapter 3, can everyone see it? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, Paul is talking, and I wanted to start here because this to me is so, so, so important. Ephesians 3, verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, by definition, what is love? Love is not how much I love God, but how much he loves me or us. All right. It's not how much I love him, but it's how much he loves me. And Paul is saying this, you, you, you be rooted and you be grounded in God's love for you. All right. You know what? Uh, This is off topic. But you know what? Jesus, before he did one thing right or one thing wrong, he was baptized in the Jordan River and he was about to go into the wilderness to be tempted before he could even have the chance to make a mistake. What's the first thing the father said to him? This you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I think it's Luke's translation that says you. In the other Gospels, you see this. The idea is that everyone around him heard what? This is my beloved son. But Jesus heard what? You are the one. You are the one that I love. Long before our children can make mistakes, let them know, hey, you're the one that I love. You are the one that I love. And I'm telling you, I believe when you know how much God loves you in spite of making a mistake or doing anything right or anything wrong, when you know that God loves me and it has nothing to do with my actions, it empowers us to win. Anyways, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ. Notice, not to know the love for Christ, but to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How are you filled with the fullness of God? When you know the love of Christ, all right? You are filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. All that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Before you go to the next one, let me say this. I might I share with a few of you. There were uh, two things that I asked the Lord for at the beginning of the year. I'm sorry, two things that I did not ask the Lord for. And the reason why is I shared, and I think in a Bible study, I said, this is just too much. It is. I was like, that's so far-fetched of an idea. I don't even really want to ask. And not to sound holier than thou art, but I just didn't. I didn't. I made my list, and I didn't put those things on there. And the Lord corrected me about two or three months ago. He said, look, you didn't even ask me for these things. But you know what? This is how awesome it's going to be for you this year. I'm going to do so many impossible things for you and for the church this year. I'm going to make these things happen. All right. This debt was not on the list. (laughs) It's on the list now. But notice to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above, not just exceedingly, but abundantly and not just exceedingly abundantly, but exceedingly abundantly above. Say that 10 times fast. Above all that we ask or think. How is he able to do this when you are first what? Rooted and grounded in love. The more you know how much God loves you, the more he can do this. Let me show you this in the Amplified Version real quick. Tiki, can you show the next one, please? This is the Amplified Version. Same passage. May Christ through your faith actually dwell. This is the Amplified. It says, may Christ through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make his permanent home in your hearts. 
In other words, once Christ enters your heart, he will never leave. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love that you may have the power. Hit okay for me. (laughs) That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it? Verse 19, that you may really come to know practically. I love this through experience for yourself, for through experience. What does that mean? That means the first time you ever say, "Okay, father, it's not my love for you. It's your love for me. And you start working it out and you start experiencing it. There'll be times where you're like, why didn't I get this? And why didn't why did I get this? But I didn't get that. All right. The more you come to know the love that God has for you, you become you begin to realize if I don't have this. If I didn't get this, it's probably because God has something better or this was going to hurt me and he was protecting me. All right. So it's an experiential love. You experience it. You work it out and you realize over time. Uh, a good friend of mine, he just um, head over heels believed God was sending him to Washington, D.C. for this church position to, uh, to minister. And he was so excited. And he had me pray and everybody else pray. And I was like, you know what, man, I, I never wanted to tell him I didn't know about it. You know, sometimes you just don't know. Um, but he was so convinced this is the position God gave me. The Lord told me this. Turns out he didn't get the position. <laughs> and you know what I told him? I said, you know what? I mean, he was, he was down. I mean, he was really depressed about it. Where he's at, he hates where he's at. Um, and just life is going on around him. All right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Life is going on around him. And in the midst of it, he thought this was his big break. God's going to get me out of this. And I told him, you know what? You didn't get it because God didn't want you to have this. This was probably going to hurt you in some way, shape, or form. He's gotten better. You know what that is? That's love through experience. All right. Then he says for yourselves, the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being until the fullness of God may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body holy filled, flooded with God himself. Next verse. Now to him who by inconsequence of the action of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly, far ab- over and above all that we dare. I love it. the reason why I put this whole thing was to show you this verse. All that we dare. I love that. It's almost like he's saying, I dare you to ask me. All that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or even dreams. Isn't that beautiful? God is daring you. Ask me for the impossible. Ask me. Now, I want to look at a story of Elisha. If you have your Bible, you can turn me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6. Some of you heard the update on my wife. Um, if you have not, this is a short testimony while you're turning there. Long story short, she had to go to the hospital a while back. Um, a couple of days ago, I think it was Monday morning, I want to say. Sunday night, Monday morning. It's Monday morning. Um, she was just, it was so bad. Morning sickness was getting the best of her. Um, so we go to the hospital, and long story short, she was just severely dehydrated. So we spent the night there. Um, that was fun. I've always wanted to spend the night in the hospital. Don't ask. It's, it's a weird thing. I just, I've always, I remember when um, Kelly's not here, and my sister isn't either. But when Carmen was pregnant, I think it was with Hannah. And you know, that, that night of the pregnancy, you have to stay in the hospital, right? And I remember Kelly like, was pulling the bed out, and I was like, I want, it's just it's something I've always, as a kid, I always saw the bed in the hospital. I, I want to sleep on that bed. Not on the, the, the bed where you're sick, but I want to sleep on that one. So I got to sleep on the bed. And I, I, I told her later on, not in the moment, but I was like, man, this is, I've always wanted to do this. <laughs> so, <but> anyways, 
she's better now. She's, she's better now by the grace of God. She's better. And she's getting better. Um, so just keep her, uh, keep her lifted up. And we're not praying for her to be healed. She is already healed. Um, she's already healed. So, uh, but she woke up. She was last night. She was great. This morning she woke up and she was like, uh, and I said, just stay home. Just stay home. Uh, let me say this. The corporate presence is powerful. It's powerful. But she's not going to be condemned for not coming one Sunday. All right. All right. Anyways, that said, we're believing for a baby girl. Right on to 2 Kings chapter 6. <laughs> Don't tell her that. <laughs> Anyways, the nurse, you know, I'm going to go. Anyways, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says, and the sons of the prophets said to Elisha. Now, Elisha, just for frame of reference, Elisha was the, not predecessor, but he was like the, the second man to Elijah. All right. Elijah was the, the, the head dog. He was the man. He was the prophet of the hour. But once his ministry ended, who comes after him? Elijah. Elijah means God is Yahweh. El, God. Eli, God is. Yah comes from Yahweh. God is Yahweh or Jehovah. All right. Elisha. El, Eli, God is. Sha comes from Yeshua. Meaning what? Salvation. God is my salvation. All right. An amazing ministry. Anyways, he's. The, the sons of the prophets. Elijah has moved on. Elisha is now the man in charge. He is now the prophet in charge. It says, and the sons of the prophets came to Elisha. See now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go down to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Now pause for one moment. And I, I, I don't think I have to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways, just for the sake of everyone that's here all together. What did they say? The place we have is too small. There are some people and some denominations and some churches, for that matter, that will tell you, stop complaining about what you have. If it's too small, it is too small. (laughs) If it's not working, it is not working. Do not be afraid to say this place is too small. (laughs) Don't be afraid to say that. Because look what the man of God says. They say, hey, can we go down to the Jordan so that we can do what? Expand. We want to expand. All right. What did he say? Go. (laughs) He didn't say stop complaining. Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) Make do with what thou hast. No. He said go. Go. Is not a crime or a sin to say God. Thank you for what you have given me. But now it is too small. That's a testimony to his greatness. That's a testimony to his grace. What I have is great. You gave me this. This is great. But now you've given me so much since then that this is no longer working. So how are you going to help me fix this? Now watch what happens. Verse three. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. Very smart. Take the man of God with you. Don't take me with you. (laughs) Back then, God was not in everyone, let alone with everyone. Okay, he couldn't. Christ hadn't died yet. Today, Christ is in you. So he's with you everywhere. So don't call me. Anyways, he says, I will go. Verse four. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water and he carried and he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed. Awesome. What happened? I love this. What happened? They're cutting down trees. Everyone's doing the same thing. They're cutting down trees. But obviously this man had to borrow an axe to cut down a tree. Now, let me ask you, was it a crime that he borrowed the axe? Was it a sin that he borrowed the axe? No. But if he does not fix this, (laughs) who is at fault? He is. Obviously, he's at fault, right? Man did the smartest thing anyone could have done. 
He didn't say, let me build a dam, try to stop the water and go find this exit. He didn't even say, hey, let's try to find some string and see if we can't figure out how to get this exit. You know what he said? He went straight to the man of God and he said, help me. Why? Because it was borrowed right there. And I'm telling you, I knew this story before. But while I was praying and meditating, this story came up. Actually, I saw this verse in my mind. I saw this verse. It says, uh, where is it? That the iron axe fell into the water and he said, it is borrowed. So I had to go find the story again. But when I found it, I saw the whole context. I saw everything. Notice what they were trying to do. The place was too small. Verse two, let's go down to the Jordan. You know what Jordan means in the Hebrew? It means to descend or descent. Jesus, he descended at the cross. He went down so that we could go up. When the Israelites crossed over into the, into the promised land, they had to cross over what river? The Jordan River. And before they went in, you know what they took on their shoulders? The Ark of the Covenant, which speaks of the finished work of Jesus Christ. As the Ark went in, the Bible says God pushed the water all the way back to a city called Adam. What do we see the Jordan River a picture of? It's a picture of death. It's a picture of descending down. Jesus himself was baptized in the Jordan River. John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. All right. He pushes the water all the way back to Adam. What do we see? Death has been pushed all the way back to where it first started. Adam, the first man. All right. Then all the people cross over while the water is stopped. When the last person crosses over, they put 12 stones in the water, in, 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 the, in, the, in the river. There's no water there, but they put 12 stones there to say what? We have crossed over. We have passed over. And then they take 12 stones from the Jordan River and they put it on the promised land. All right. We're no longer who we once were. We don't take stones from the uh, from the wilderness and put them in the promised land. No, you were a sinner. You're not a sinner saved by grace. That would be stones from the wilderness in the promised land. But you are the righteousness of God in Christ. The sinner died in the Jordan. So the rocks stay in the Jordan. But now in the Jordan, from the Jordan, we take 12 stones in the promised land. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You see that? So what do they say? Let's go down to the Jordan. All right. And let every man take a beam from there. Let us make there. Where? At the Jordan. You see that? A picture of what? Where Christ died. Now, he didn't die there literally. (laughs) But it's the picture. You see that? Now, watch what happens. The man cries out, says, it was borrowed. Next verse, Tiki. Verse six. So the man of God said, where did it fall? Now, let me say this. It is not a sin to go back and say, where did I lose it? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for me to do, to say, God, where did I lose it? Because to be honest, I'm just more of the type of God, just fix it for me. <laughs> right? Just fix it. I think it was Peter that said this. Remember from where you fell. Go back to where you fell. You're in this predicament, whatever predicament you might be in. Say, I'm in this situation. Where did I lose it? This is where wisdom comes in, because wisdom will say this is where we fell. This is where we fell. Now, let me show you how to get out of this so that you never have to go back into this ever again. All right. Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick. He cut off a stick and threw it in there. He didn't just throw it in anywhere. He threw it where? Where the axe head fell. And he made the iron float. That is supernatural. (laughs) Iron will not float in water. I don't care how many times you try it. It will never work. (laughs) But when God puts himself into the equation... Let me show you what this means to me. Before this story, you know, Elijah raises a dead child from the dead, a dead child from the dead. He raises a child that has died <laughs> from the dead. All right. His prerequisites are what? I can raise dead people to life. Then the man says, I dropped the exit in the water. Can you raise this? <laughs> can you help me? That's a little bit below my pay grade. But you know what? <laughs> Nevertheless, what do we see here? God's heart 
for me, God's heart for you, is that I will turn the laws of gravity to make sure that I get you out of this. Axe heads do not float in water. But because God loves you, he will cause it to float for you. What do you see? And then notice, this is, this is the key for me. So he cut off a stick. What is that a picture of? If you remember when Moses, when they, when they were three days after the Red Sea, they came to the bitter waters of Marah. And when they, came to, when they came to the bitter waters, they called it Marah because the water was bitter. Marah means bitter. And they said, Moses, they were ready to kill him. There's no water to drink. This is too bitter. And Moses said, God, they want to kill me. And God said, Moses, <laughs> come over here and look, take this stick, throw it in the water, and the bitter water will become sweet. A picture of putting the cross into it, and it changes. What do we see here? Put a stick where what? Where, he, where the axe head fell. Now, I'm going to show you how to put the cross there. All right? I'm going to show you how to put the cross there. Tiki, can you show us the next verse, please? Is it 2 Corinthians? Good guess. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I'm pretty sure most of us in this room could probably say that without even looking. (laughs) Verse 7. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace. Notice that word. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency. Notice that word sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Notice this last phrase for every good work. Now. I knew this when I was like four. <laughs> I heard this every single week. Every week. You want a bountiful harvest? What do you have to do? So bountifully. If you want a small harvest, what do you do? So small. Now, as a kid, the logic behind it is this. What is bountiful for me may not be bountiful for you. However, if you give what's bountiful for you, and that is far exceedingly abundantly more <laughs> than what's bountiful for me, we will all acknowledge you because your bountiful gift swallowed mine whole. So I'm still not going to get a bountiful harvest because it's small in comparison to your seed. Does that make sense? <laughs> the logic just never made sense. But the reason why it never made sense, this verse never made sense, the reason why is because no one ever taught it to me in context. All right? If you want to be safe when studying God's word, study in context. Every time there is a truth, there's always, every time there's a, a truth or a treasure, there's always a key to that treasure box in the context. All right? Keep everything in this context, you'll be safe. Now, what is the truth? This I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now, God will always multiply the seed that is sown. But seed that's not sown doesn't multiply. Seed has to be sown. All right? And in this church, I, well, I'll get there in just a moment. It says, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. So don't let me tell you what is bountiful. Don't let anyone tell you what is bountiful. Give as you purpose in your heart. And let me be honest. If you don't understand this, even after today, if you don't get it, don't give. This is a bold statement to make, but by the grace of God, God has done something for us, for this church, that we have never had a financial situation where if we don't pay the bills, we will not have anywhere to meet. God has just done that for us. And I take it because he just loves us. All right. However, nevertheless, if you don't understand it, don't give. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I promise. (laughs) Anyways, nevertheless, notice what it says. As he purposes in his heart and not grudgingly or necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, if you tell somebody this, God loves cheerful giver so bountifully and be cheerful about it. You know what that is? That's the law. That is the law. (laughs) 
there's nothing in this that makes me cheerful. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. I, I, this is truth. This is God's word. It's truth. But there's nothing here that makes me cheerful. Do you want to know what will cause you to be cheerful and what will cause you to give bountifully? Grace is such. Listen, grace is such that grace puts the desire on the inside. It makes you cheerful. When Paul says be cheerful giver, he's not telling you to be cheerful. He's telling you this is the result of grace working in your life. You will be cheerful and you won't know why. And then when you say, why am I cheerful? It's because you noticed grace. You noticed grace. The very next phrase says what? God is able to make all grace. He's able to make grace. Grace is what? It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. Let me tell you a greater truth. You can't give anything until you have first received. You can't give a dime unless you have first received it from someone else. And who is the one that gives to all of us? It's God. It's Jesus. Let me tell you the truth. If you don't understand this, I'm going to challenge everybody. If you don't understand, you don't like this, just say this. My my prayer at the end will be this for you in case I forget. (laughs) My prayer for you is going to be this. God, give Give just limitless. Give them more than they can hold. Then once they have given, once they have received, then show them that it's okay to give. That's my prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. That's my prayer. Give them more than they can handle. Then at the end of the week, once they have so much, once you have so much, you say, hey, I can give. I can give. Now, let me show you the context. What will make us cheerful? What will make us give bountifully? Tiki, can you show the next one? We're going to go back one chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Notice the context, and I put it in the Amplified so you can see this as well. I like the Amplified. But look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 in the New King James. It says, for you know the... Oh, man, I thought you'd be excited to say that word. And you know the... Grace. Of who? Of Matthew Edwards? <laughs> I can name a few other ministers, but nevertheless, you don't know the grace of anyone else. You know the grace of who? Our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, was Jesus rich before he came? Very much. Yet for your sake, he became poor. Question, pause. When did he become poor? At the cross. Mm. At the cross, he became poor for who? For who? For you. That you, through his poverty, where? At the cross, might become rich. I never put at the cross right here, but keep it in context. When did he become poor? At the cross. So that me through his poverty, where? At the cross. When did I receive Christ? Uh, Years ago. But guess what? When I receive him, all of a sudden, what he did at the cross is now available to me. Do you know when you take communion by faith, you're going back to the cross and taking from him what you need? Did you know that? When you take that bread in your hand and you say, you carry this sickness from me, I challenge you to close your eyes and just see him on the cross and say, I'm taking this. My head hurts. I'm taking from him. (laughs) You are what you eat. Take from his head. (laughs) My arm hurts. I'm taking from his arm. I'm taking from him. I'm going back to the cross. And even when it comes to financial help, go back to the cross because that's where he became poor with your poverty. And that's where you became rich with his riches. And it's all because of what? Grace. You don't deserve it. But he did it before you had the chance to ask him. That's the love. (laughs) That's the love of God for you. I'm going to do it before you have the chance to ask for it. Look at this in the Amplified. For you are becoming progressively acquainted with. (laughs) I like that. And recognizing more strongly and clearly the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, his kindness, his graciousness, his gracious generosity, his undeserved favor and spiritual blessing in that though he was so very rich, yet for your sakes, he became so very poor in order that by his poverty, 
you might become enriched abundantly supplied. Abundantly supplied. Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, if you will, Tiki. Watch this. We're going to read the whole thing now. Now that you have the context, now that you have the context, see, the thing is this. You're not giving to become rich. When did you become rich? At the cross. When did you become rich? At the cross. If you became rich at the cross, I don't care what your bank account says now. Are you rich? Yes. If you are rich, not because of your bank account now, guess what? You're rich, right? With his riches, you are rich now. When you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. But when you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Notice one more time. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Why? Because my giving isn't based on what I have. It's giving based on what he gave me. Do you see that? Not grudgingly or of necessity. Why would I be grudgingly about giving when I know that his resources are limitless? I don't, it's not based on what I have. It's based on what he has. My bank account may say nothing, but by the grace of God, I am still rich. And because I am rich, God loves a cheerful giver. I, why not be cheerful? <laughs> I can be happy about giving. And you know what? It's not just in the church. I have to say that because if I don't, I'm going to put you back under another law. We have this idea. It has to be a church. It must be the church. Let me say this. Look at, the, look at this last phrase. May have an abundance for every good work. There are good works in the church. Um, my parents just went to Africa. That was a good work. That was a very good work. I hope to God that you gave, and I hope you gave bountifully. But even if you didn't, it doesn't matter because you're still going to get a harvest. You're still going to get a harvest. As a church, we don't just take in everything people the church gives. We, we, we take it in, and then we give it out. We sow it out. There's a, a principle that, that, that the Jews believe, and um, it shows itself even in the Bible. Living water is not water that, that's only poured into. It's water that's poured into and also pours out. Living water, all right? Uh, water that's only poured into, they call it stagnant. It breeds mosquitoes. All right. Nevertheless, if there's a flow in and flow out, it's living water. As a church, we don't just take in everything you give us and hold on to it. We give it out as well. So the seed you sow here is producing a harvest, not for the church, not just for the church, but it's also producing a harvest for us and for you on top of what you've already given. And every good work means this. When you encounter someone at work who just, God, I need help. Be the gracious one to step up and say this. I don't have it to give it. Wait a second. I do. Why? Because I know grace. Because I know grace, I can give it. And that is a good work. Grace is this. You see, the law says this. You get what you deserve. You get what you deserve. But did you know that because you are under grace, you get what you don't deserve? So even when you sow in a place that you shouldn't, by the grace of God, God will still cause it to be multiplied in your lives. Watch this. Verse 9. As it is written, he who has dispersed abroad... He has given to the poor. There's that abroad again. I love that. He has dispersed abroad. It's not just in one place. Thank you for giving to the church. But guess what? Give other places as well. Give to other ministries, please. (laughs) Don't just give here. Give to other ministries. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Giving does not make you righteous. It's the evidence that you are righteous. As you give, guess what? As it comes back in, you realize, wait a second. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Anyways, where are we at? Next verse, Tiki, verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower, notice, it's not him who gives, it's he who supplies. You have to be supplied first. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown. You see that? I believe God can cause your bank account to supernaturally increase. But what does the Bible say? He multiplies seed that has been sown. All right? Sow it. And increase the fruits of your righteousness. Sowing does not increase your righteousness. It increases the fruits 
of your righteousness. All right. While you are enriched, we're going to read down. I want to come to verse uh, 15. It says, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of the service, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Verse was that 13. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them all and all men. Next verse. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. I put it in bold because I want you to see it starts off talking about what? Grace. It ends by talking about what? Grace. And even in the context, he's not talking about what they've given to the church. The context is this. You gave to us who are not in that church. You took them an offering before we came. And then you gave to saints who are spread abroad. You gave to the work of the ministry abroad. All right. As you gave. Thank you. And everyone is happy and they are thankful for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. It's the grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his what? Indescribable gift. What is the indescribable gift he's talking about? The grace that is in you. Do you see that? Let me say this. I'm so thankful for the grace that's in you. Yes. I am so thankful. From time to time, people give me a small gift here and there. Let me say this. Thank you. But if you need it, keep it. I'm not asking for a gift. Let me say that louder from the middle in front of the screen. I am not asking for a gift. I'm not. I am thankful for your gifts. I am thankful for your giving to me. I appreciate that. But let me say this. More than I am thankful for your giving to me, I am more thankful for the grace that's in you. Because it's, it, because it, you know what it tells me? It tells me this. They're probably not just giving to me. They're giving to other people. Now, that doesn't, that's not proof that you're giving to other people. But let me say this. I'm thankful for the grace that's in you. I'm thankful that you're in a grace-based church because that means you're not just going to give here. You're going to give other places as well. And then people are going to go, man, I really like him. I really like her. Every time they come around me, they just give. And they always give it at the right time. I like their church. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm I'm joking, but I'm serious. I'm joking, but nevertheless, hey, I'm thankful for the grace in you. And everybody else is going to become thankful for the grace in you. Now, again, if you don't have it, don't give it. There is no crime in saying, God, I just don't have it. But you know what? There is a crime in saying and not saying, God, I could I could I could take some. I can take some. If grace is unearned and it's undeserved, that means I can't do anything to deserve it. I can't do anything to earn it. I just have to by faith say, Father, I receive your grace right now in the area of my finances. Father, in Jesus name, I thank you that your grace is manifesting in everyone's life right now in Jesus name. In Jesus name. I thank you that you're giving seed to everyone in here. And by faith, I call everyone in here a sower, a sower by faith. They are sowers and you are going to continue to give them seed. And Father, may by the time next week rolls around, I thank you that you will have given them so much that bountifully and cheerfully will not even be. It won't even be an issue. They're not going to give from what they have now. They're going to give from what they have had the entire time that you have been with us. Father, I thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Now, I'm not done yet. I'm almost done. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wanted to take that moment. Um, Tiki, can you show the next verse, please? Yes, we're going to close with this. This is the last one. You can't see it, can you? You can't see it. I think this is the last one. Now, part of doing this, number one, is understanding that God multiplies seed that is sown, correct? And before I can give it, I have to first receive it, all right? That's the gracious thing about it. I love it, all right? Nevertheless, where are we? What is the posture that we should take? How do we do this? And I, that's one of the things I like to ask the Lord a lot. Thank you for this truth. But how do we how do I do this? All right. 
We're going to pull a story from John chapter 6. It's a famous passage where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live because of me. We did that earlier. That means you are alive because of who? Jesus. But notice John chapter 6, verse 5, all right? This is before he makes that statement. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude, 5,000, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. <laughs> notice people who are towards Jesus coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, I put in bold the responses of two disciples. And I want you to notice their responses. He said, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? His concern is not where can we buy bread so that we can eat so that we can keep serving. <laughs> His response is where can we buy bread, spend our resources to make sure that they are taken care of. Jesus always has who in mind? You. Always has you in mind. Do not take the approach. Oh, I got to do this for God. I have to do this. for. I have to. No, 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 no. Long before you can do anything. He wants you to let he wants you to let him minister to you. All right. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. When I read this, I got so excited. I've seen it thousands of times. I probably preached it before once or twice here and there. But I got excited again because the Lord said this. Tell them. And this was for me as well. He said, Matthew, guess what? Long before you came into this debt, I knew what I was going to do. I knew what I was going to do. This is not a surprise to me. This is not a shocker moment. I knew long before you were here what I was going to do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient. There's that word again. What does God want us to be for every good work? Sufficient. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now, notice his mindset. Every one of them may have a little. So his mindset is, God, if it, Jesus, if you can do it, it's only going to be a little. Not you. If we can do it, it'll only be a little. So he's got a little mindset, all right? Look at verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Let me just point out real quick. This is a side note. Peter always had a big mouth. We know Peter talks at the times no one asks questions. Jesus shows up, is glorified. Moses shows up. Elijah shows up. The presence of God is there. A cloud comes down, and Peter starts talking. Nobody says anything to Peter. Peter talks. And you see his brother, Andrew. No one said anything to Andrew. Simon Peter's brother. I love that little tidbit. He is Simon's brother. <laughs> Make no mistake about that. He says to him, to Jesus, all right? Jesus didn't ask him anything. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Philip has a small mindset. Andrew has a mindset of what? This is such a big problem. I think most people fall in this category. God, this is a massive problem, so I don't want to ask. Then the other half of the, the mind is this. God, so, my provision is so small. I'll just a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Such a small mindset or such a big, big problem mindset. But watch what Jesus does. Next verse, Tiki. I'm sorry, Joshua. Psych. Anyways, verse 10. <laughs> Sorry, that's an inside joke. Tiki wants me to call him Josh from now on. I'm not. He will always be Tiki. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. So what is the posture for all of us to receive? Sit down. It's a posture of what? I have to rest. Again, you can't give until you have first received. In order for me to receive, what do I have to do? Sit. Sit. Now, there was much grass in the place. And I've pointed this out before. But the Bible is so funny about the details it gives us. What color is grass? <laughs> Do you know green in the Bible represents something that's new, something that's fresh, something new and fresh? In Revelations, John says, I saw the throne, and around the throne was a rainbow, but the color that sticks out the most is emerald. What color is emerald? Green. 
what do we see? What, what, what is green? What, what is the representation of green? In Psalm 23, he says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in what pastures? Green. What's the significance of green in the Bible? New, fresh, new covenant. New covenant. The old covenant was do good, you'll get good. Do bad, you will get punished. <laughs> but the new covenant says this. God says it has nothing to do with you anymore. He says, I will, I will, I will. I will be there, God. You will be my people. I will be everything you need. It's all about me. You keep your eyes on me. This is the covenant that I cut with Jesus Christ, the man. Didn't even cut it with you. You just receive. New covenant. Notice what it says. There was much grass in the place. Why give us that detail? Because he doesn't want us to get stuck on the miracle. He wants us to realize the miracle is just a sign pointing to something greater. When you rest in the new covenant truth, what happens? So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, again, I was so excited when I saw this. I had to put it in bold. As much as you want. It will only stop when you say, I have as much as I want. When he starts pouring in, I'm telling you, when, when grace is like that. When grace starts coming, it's like you catch your, you get, you don't know why it stops. And then you have to stop and go, wait a second, because I thought, man, I can't take anymore. No, no, no. As much as you want. As much as you want. Now, I'm going to close with this. What do we start off by saying what? Talking about God's love for who? For you. It starts with God's love for you. If you don't know how much God loves you, go back. <laughs> go back. Find out how much God loves you, and it will bring you to this point. But it has to start from God's love because when you know how much God loves you, I'm telling you, it's like, I don't deserve this, but I love you and I'm going to give it to you anyways. God, I didn't earn this, but I love you and I'm going to give it to you anyways. The beauty of the new covenant, the beauty of grace is this. The devil can't stop this. He can't. If it's based on something that I have done, then he can. That's a shaky foundation. He can always cut that off. Um, I just, there's a there's song I've been singing for a while. I love it. We haven't sing, sung it in the church, but it's called Unstoppable God. Amazing song. Amazing song. I love this song. And last night I was just screaming at the top of my lungs. I had a 30 minute drive home. <laughs> I was just screaming Unstoppable God, just going in about 10 times. I love that song. But then last night it finally sunk in. Wait a second. You are an unstoppable father. You are unstoppable. No one can stop you. The devil can't stop what you have for me. The only one that can stop what you have for me is me. And the only way I can stop that is when I start thinking he's blessing me because of what I have done. He is favoring me because of what I have done. All that I have in my life is because I have earned it. I have worked hard for it. But when I step back into grace and I say it has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with you, guess what happens? It's like the pipe opens up. Everything that was clogging it up just gets moved out the way by the love of God. And then all of a sudden he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you can ask or even dare to think about. Amen. Amen. Hmm. T, that was the last one, wasn't it? Click next. Make sure. Ha! I want to close. Can I share this last thing with you? Don't go to that. We're not, not going to do 1 Corinthians 13 for the sake of time. I'm not. I'm going to do Luke chapter 1. Is that okay? I'm going to share this with you and you can look it up for yourself. I tried to find it in the Greek, but it was like 4 o'clock in the morning, so bear with me. Anyways, <laughs> Luke chapter 1, verse 13. I, I have to share this with you. If you remember, John the Baptist, his father's name was Zacharias. His mother's name was Elizabeth, right? John the Baptist. Now, um, if you remember, his, his mother and his father were well advanced in years. Translation, they were older. They were past the birth-giving age. And yet, God favors them and God says, I'm going to give you a son. 
But he sends the angel, Gabriel, to speak to Zacharias, John the Baptist's father. Now, John the Baptist, his father was a priest. And when they cast the lots, he is, he's the one that's chosen to go in and minister to God. Now, that only happens one time a year on the Day of Atonement when they get to go in. But when he goes in, he sees on the right hand, I think on the right hand of the, I can't remember. But anyway, he sees an angel, it's the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel speaks to him and says, um, right here, verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Now, I'll put this in bold and under, I'll come back. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. Guess what John means in, well, guess what John means? <laughs> it means grace. Literally, Yohanan, which means the grace of Yahweh. Beautiful. He says, you'll have a son, and you'll call his name what? Grace. You'll have a son, you'll call his name Grace. Now, this is what the Lord shared this with me. He said this. <laughs> he said, for all of you, he said, what's about to come out of you, because I am in you, it's going to come from the inside out. Don't look from the outside in. Look from the inside out. Favor comes from the inside out, because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. The confident expectation of God's glory manifesting is inside of you. All right? So what's coming out of you is grace. Okay? He said this. Um, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. In the Greek, actually, it can also be read like this. Your prayer is heard. They were old and they were well advanced in years. It can also be interpreted or read like this. The prayer that you have stopped praying. The prayer that you have stopped praying because you gave up hope. The prayer that you stopped praying because you thought it was impossible and unthinkable. The prayer that you have stopped praying. God has heard your prayer. And now it's going to be answered with what? Grace. (laughs) <laughs> I saw that a while back. I think we shared it on a Wednesday night Bible study. And that was just the whole point of the whole night. I didn't care whatever else I talked about before. I, just, I had to get to this. Because to me, it gives me so much hope and so much excitement. There are things that I'm telling you, uh, just growing up, I'm only, what, I'm 27, I'll be 28 this year. There are things that I saw my parents pray and believe God for. Don't know if it came to pass. Don't know if it did. There are things many of you have probably believed God for in the past. And, and, and if you didn't get it, know this. A, it wasn't good for you. It probably would have hurt you. B, God had better. Or C, guess what? It's on his way. It's on his way. There are things you have asked God for and you just thought, I'm not even going to pray about it. God said, hey, I heard it. And don't think I forgot because I didn't. (laughs) I'm excited. I was going to share 1 Corinthians 13. I'm not. Don't worry. I'm not. Look it up for yourself. But the whole context is talking about the love that God has for you. I put it in the Amplified in the end. It's an amazing verse. Read it for yourself. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.